many people practice stoicism inauthentically, especially people that are coming to stoicism originally who are looking for an easy way to stop being sad or an easy way to not have to wrestle with what is a complicated emotion or a complicated situation and say, well, stoicism tells me not to worry about it, so I'm not going to worry about it. Stoicism tells me it's outside mm -hmm. my control, so I'm going to be numb to it. But I think the existentialism provides us this language of saying, look, you're not engaging with it authentically. Welcome to Stoa Conversations. My name is Caleb Ontiveros. And in this episode, Michael and I discuss the philosophy of existentialism. We talk about what it is and how it relates to Stoicism, its key agreements and disagreements with the philosophy and what the practical upshots of those are, what lessons we can take from existentialism. Before we hop into it, two announcements. First, I am running a free workshop on Stoicism and mindfulness on December 19th. Visit stoameditation.com slash workshop to register for that. Second, Michael and I are going to be running another cohort-based course in January on Stoicism Applied. This will be kicking off the second week of January. So we'll be taking that time, traditionally time of New Year's resolutions and so on to reflect philosophically, learn about Stoicism, and develop a concrete plan to become more Stoic and stay Stoic over the course of 2024. This time around, we're going to be including a significant beginning of the year discount. So if price was an obstacle last time, do check out the course Stoicism Applied at stoameditation.com slash course. All right, well, for this conversation, we in fact lost the first five minutes or so. So what you're going to hear is the part of the conversation where Michael started describing what existentialism is. So with that, uh, here is our conversation. So in Stoicism, you have, this was the head of the school who passed it out, uh, you know, Zeno founded it, passed it on to Cleanthes, Chrysippus took up the head of school. That's not going on with existentialism. It's a collection of philosophers who are approaching philosophy in a, in a similar way. So then the question is, what are those similarities? What would I say that are the themes that unify all these different existentialists? The first I would say is the rejection of an inherent meaning provided by God. And I think I take that to be the starting point of the existentialist question is this idea of, well, either, either strong doubt. So I'm not certain that God is real. What do I do now? or an actual atheism, an actual rejection of God. God is not real. What do I do now? So I would say that's the first thing is this, is this sense of there is, there is not clearly inherent meaning in the world. What do I do? I would say that's part, that's part one. The second theme I would say that all existentialists share is a recognition of the absurdity of a world without that meaning. And what I mean by absurdity is this recognition of Let's say the subjective experience of confronting a world without structure and inherent meaning um, and how that is, a, that is a paradigm shift, actually quite, a, quite an intense thing to recognize if you're used to thinking about the world as, as being ordered and having inherent meaning provided by God. And so, yeah, and Kale, feel free to jump in at any point if you want to add or, or turn that in a different direction. 
so there's there's no inherent meaning provided by God. There's the, the as a result of that, the world is absurd. Um, the third thing I would say then is this idea that um, our existence precedes our essence. Um, this is a really important existentialist idea because because of because the world doesn't have inherent meaning. Um, this lack of inherent meaning also applies at the individual level. So as Sartre says, man first of all exists, encounters himself, surges up in the world, and defines himself afterwards. So instead of this notion of us having a soul, a destiny, or even a predefined nature provided either by God, or you know, if, if we, we talk about this a lot in Stoicism, a kind of a telos, a purpose or function in Stoicism is provided by nature. You know, the Stoics identify God with nature, but there is a, we have a function. We have a, a better or worse way to live that is inherent to us. And so the, the consequence of the absurdity of the world, the lack of inherent meaning is that we don't have that pre-established function. Um, mm -hmm. First we exist, and then we have to go about creating our essence. And so that's the other thing. So existence precedes essence. But there is also this view that we have a capacity to construct that essence. We have a capacity to construct our own meaning, a kind of individual or personal meaning. Um, another big theme of existentialism is, is existential angst, or I would say a, an acknowledgement of the kind of the, the dread that is produced when you confront this inherent lack of meaning. And one of the ways to counter existential dread is a pursuit of authenticity, which is the responsibility to take seriously the creation of your own essence. Because you just exist, you don't have an essence. Um, there's a kind of existential dread that comes from that, this recognition of the absurdity of the world. And we have a responsibility to authentically engage with that absurdity and construct our own meaning out of that absurdity. Uh, at least on an individual level. And then I think mm -hmm. this connects with the, the sixth theme, uh, my summary of existentialism, is that it's, it's anti-nihilist. It's a rejection of nihilism. It is to say that you know, even though there's no inherent meaning, that doesn't mean there's no meaning at all. And that often nihilism or, or a tendency of nihilism can be a, I would say, a cowardly way to face the absurdity of the world. And it's a it's a rejection of the responsibility to construct your own essence um, and to face your existential angst. It's just an easy out. And so existentialism for me, is it's a rejection of that nihilism as I understand it and saying, no, instead you need to, con to uh, produce a personal meaning at an individual level. And even though that's not grounded in God, it's not grounded in the broader universe, that's still, uh, that's, is still meaningful. That is still a your meaning of life in a way, the one that you construct for yourself through your choices and your, and your actions and your way of, of reasoning about the world. Um, so what do you think about that? How's, how's that for a high-level summary? I think that's a solid high-level high su summary. I know you, one of the first things to always know with existentialism is, as you said, it's not a well-defined school in the sense that Stoicism was. There's not some existentialist institution or any sense of that history. And certainly... Uh, we've done different conversations with existentialists on Stoic conversations. Well, I think you've done one with Gordon Marino, yep. heavily influenced by Kierkegaard, and then one with Sky Cleary, who is takes Simone de Beauvoir as her starting point. And both of those thinkers have 
some some salient differences but i think at, at least from a high level we can we can talk about these these similarities uh in a useful way um but if you're an existentialist listener and think we're focusing too much on a specific version of existentialism do, do let <laughs> us know um i so to me just just sort of restating some of what you said i think existentialism sort of begins with that pronouncement from nietzsche which that god is dead and you can also think of dostoevsky's riff on that just god if god is dead then everything is permitted and the existentialist take on that isn't that it's time for some immoral holiday or some i don't know now you can do whatever you want to make yourself happy instead i think there does come there is that sense that now there's no meaning in the world there's no structure to look for to discover to determine the path of one's life you know, like what's the point of pursuing selfish ends what's the point of being immoral at all to begin with and that's this sort of key idea of the absurd um or perhaps uh, as as sartre puts it just this idea that existence precedes essence there are there are just things in the world actions and those exist before we have attach means to them before we find purposes in them and uh that means there's no there's no meaning to discover man is nothing else but that which he makes of himself as one of sarch's lines uh, and there's also the line from him man is nothing else but what he purposes he exists only insofar as he realizes himself he is therefore nothing else but the sum of his actions nothing else but what his life is hence we can well understand why some people are horrified by our teaching that yeah so that's uh that, that's that's more or less i think i'm stating the same thing you are but def i would definitely put the emphasis on the way i think about existentialism in terms of this idea existence precedes essence that's number one there's a, some a sense of anxiety around that but we are not just things in the world we're not objects we are free subjective people and that means that we need to if we're going to live we need to manage this sense of absurdity we need to recognize our freedom otherwise we would um not not be in, in your in your terms authentic we want to be living authentically as as human beings but deceiving ourselves in some way and the way one of the things that i've thought a couple of things that i've thought uh about existentialism were brought into my own life you hit on there one is this idea of um you know we're nothing more than the sum of our actions i think you were uh, was the was the quote and i think about that in terms of my own life in terms of the philosophy of life all the time like we get up and telling our stories like I'm this kind of person or I'm that kind of person. I think those can be harmful when they're positive because they can make us not reflect on our own failings. But often for me, they're they're more harmful negative, right? Like, well, I'm a selfish person or I'm a cowardly person or I'm and I and I I I remember to to existentialism is this reminder to say, well, no, like take a step back and like weigh up the actions of your life, right? And do those actions provide evidence for that. And maybe I'm lucky that the actions usually don't provide evidence. Maybe if they did provide evidence, you'd have a different kind of problem. But for mm -hmm. me, I think I'm typically harder on myself than the evidence shows or, or merits. Another thing I think about is this idea of an existentialism is, is that 
the strength of existential angst, like this idea, uh, uh, you know, people aren't inherently good. There's nothing that's stopping me from going out and killing somebody right now. You know, this it's, it's six six twenty on a Monday right now. There's nothing stopping me from going out and uh, doing some sort of heinous crime, or you know, jumping off a bridge, or um, you know, leaving the country. I'm totally free to do whatever I want. I have this un incredible amount of freedom. And that freedom is actually so terrifying to me that I put myself in a box and I create a kind of, I create a fake story where I say, well, no, I'm this kind of person or I'm that kind of person. Um, I try to give my, I try to define my essence to get away from that angst and to get away from that fear. So I think it's, I think it's helpful. It's a helpful philosophy in introducing this idea descriptively about how terrifying wrestling with the meaning of life can be. And about how to get away from that fear or that anxiety, we can often um, we can often placate ourselves or come up with stories, myths, whatever you want to call it, either at a personal level or at a grander level about the existence of God or you know the truth of stoicism or something like this. We 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 can tell ourselves these these stories, as they might say, to try to um, diminish this fear or this angst. And I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think they're necessarily right that. All of these things serve that function. I think maybe you know they could be wrong about some of their earlier commitments about the the meaning of the world and the meaning of life. But I think that descriptively is a, is like a really helpful fact. Right, right. I think there's this line from a psychiatrist n- named Thomas Saws, who sometimes th- thought of as an existentialist psychiatrist, which goes something to the effect of. We yearn for autonomy when it's taken from us, but recoil from it when it's given. Mm-hmm. And it's that latter sense that I think the existentialists get at, which is when you realize the extent of your freedom, that comes both with the burdens of responsibility. Now you can't point your finger at anything else. And then the second aspect is the fact that the fields just wide open and you feel uh, as if you're floating through an infinite number of possibilities without any sense of being rooted in, in a specific one perhaps yeah it's scary <laughs> and so we uh we and uh, if, you, if you don't think about how scary that is you might not recognize again how it's how it's affecting your behavior or how you're you're coming into some sort of limiting limiting beliefs to try to escape that fear um, which I think is cool. I like that. I really like that about existentialism. I like that. Like, I like that kick in the pants to like, Hey, just make sure you're not latching on to any of these ideas because if they were false, it would be sad or scary. Uh, cool. Anything else to add on what is existentialism? Maybe one other, one other way to put this sense of freedom that existentialists believe in, um, is captured by John Paul Sartre in his essay, Existentialism is a Humanism. The thought that humans, we are completely distinct from other animals and because of our subjectivity. This thought to me is very very interesting. So one line from that, or a few sentences from that lecture or essay This theory alone is compatible with the dignity of man. It is the only one which does not make man into an object. All kinds of materialism, 
lead one to treat every man, including oneself, as an object. That is, as a set of predetermined reactions, in no way different from the patterns of, of qualities and phenomena which constitute a table or a chair or a stone. Our aim, speaking as existentialists, is precisely to establish the human kingdom as a pattern of values in distinction from the material world. But the subjectivity which we postulate as a standard of truth is no narrowly individual subjectivism, for as we have demonstrated, it is not only one's own self that, dis that discovers it in the cogito, but those of others too. So there's that thought. The cogito he's referring to is the statement by the philosopher Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And that is what separates humans from other material objects, recognizing that power of thought, that power of subjectivity in oneself and in others. And that can be a source of distinction um, and also a source of potentially connection to other, other humans, other subjectivities, other free beings in the world. So this real emphasis, I guess, on the, the uniqueness of the human position, some interesting comparisons with Stoicism there, like about how there's always this attempt, I think, in Stoicism to both justify what's different about humans, but also ground them as part of nature. And that, to me, read very differently as, as well, we need to actually pull out humans as something different, obviously because we have the subjectivity, but almost speaking down about animals or material things as if humans are a different kind of class of being. Um, yeah, interesting yeah. point. Yeah, sort of gets into maybe the alienation point too. Like men, people really are separate from the world in a way. Stoicism, other philosophies, other religions may may not make them, may not yeah. have it. So it's hard to connect with the rest of nature because you're different. Because you can, you can think about yourself. You can remember that embarrassing thing you did in grade seven, um, and it will come back and it will haunt you. Yeah, exactly. Well. <laughs> What what would you, what do you think of as some of the key disagreements with existentialism and stoicism? Then how would you uh, how would you frame this? Yeah, so I mean, so so I provided six themes to existentialism. We hit on some more, but mine were the the rejection of inherent meaning provided by God, recognition of the absurdity of a world without that meaning, um, existence preceding essence, existential angst, demand for authenticity, and a rejection of nihilism. And looking at those six, I think that um, existentialism disagrees on the first three, but there's a connection for the last three. So I think Stoicism, well, I know that Stoicism disagrees that there is no inherent meaning provided by God. Stoicism thinks that we, we have a function. Human beings have a function, have a purpose. We both have a function at a individual level. There's ways that human lives go better or worse and uh, ways that humans should live and shouldn't live. And then we have a function as part of a greater whole, as part of a greater universe. Uh, you know, we, we, we are the actors in a play. We are, you know, we could be the, the foot or the hand of a larger, the larger being. We're a bee in a beehive, whatever the metaphor is. Uh, we both have a individual role as a human being and a larger role to play in a greater process. So there is no, there is no 
that that fundamental proposition the Stoics the Stoics reject uh, that there's no inherent meaning uh, provided by God or nature, or however you want to think of the Stoic uh, the Stoic grounding of meaning. Because of that, there is no absurdity. We can feel absurd when we are out of touch with the meaning around us, when we lose perspective of the meaning that's around us, of our function and uh, our role in a greater play. You know, if you don't recognize you're an actor in a, in a play or you're part of something greater, it can feel absurd, isolating, alienating. Uh, but that's a descriptive fact, but not not a true fact of the world. There actually is no absurdity. There's, there's nothing but order, purpose, kind of unfolding of a, of a plan, so to speak. And then this idea that existence precedes essence. We, we, in, in some sense, this is true. In some sense, we can craft ourselves as Stoics, but um, never in a way that transcends our fundamental essence as rational beings our fundamental purpose and function as rational beings who have commitments to the highest good of virtue and character. And, you know, there's some crafting of, you know, what, what kind of job do I want to take up? What, how do, what, what particular life do I want to live? Um, but I, I certainly have an essence that I then try to live up to. That's where I would say the disagreement is. In terms of agreement, I think that the Stoics agree that we face angst when we wrestle with understanding the world, that's something that humans go through all the time and turn to philosophy, religion, or other myths for, or stories for. But that doesn't mean that they're all false, for example. It just means that we, we, face a, we face that kind of angst and we try to overcome it through whatever means. The Stoics think that we have a responsibility to be, they agree that we have a responsibility to be authentic. So, uh, well, authenticity is not constructing an essence, but authenticity is actualizing the essence. Authenticity is stepping in, uh, you know, gladly, uh, amor fati, loving your fate, gladly stepping into this role or purpose. Um, and then I think the Stoics agree that we have to reject the temptation to avoid angst or struggle by becoming nihilistic. We have to avoid the temptation to kind of step outside the game by saying nothing matters, who cares anyway. Uh, they're totally on the same page with the existentialists there. What do you think? So for the disagreements, the first disagreement just, of course, is this idea that one way to think about it, the first three tenets you have here, there's no inherent meaning provided by God. The world is absurd because of the lack of meaning and existence precedes essence. Is that at least the first and the third amount to the same thing? There's no discoverable purpose for ourselves for the universe at large. And the Stoics certainly dis disagree with that. The traditional Stoics think there is a overarching purpose, the way things are constructed. The universe is providential, or there's some sense of logos permeating uh, everything. But even if you don't take that sort of view, modern Stoics think, well, there's some, you can come up with an account of, you know, we're human beings and there are certain things that are good for human beings, we're rational and social creatures, and those facts give us purposes. That that means that there's a kind of life that's suitable for our rational and human nature, that and that life is discoverable in a real sense. It's not something that we can that's arbitrary, that is purely subjective or anything of, of that sort. 
that that that, that just is one of the key key disagreements between the, the two schools two schools of thought and and because there is that sense of uh, purpose meaning in the universe you might run into senses of absurdity but as you said it's not built into the furniture of reality there's no uh you know the no, no, no real deep sense in which the world is absurd even if particular projects might might be so i guess is there is there are there other disagreements you think that i missed or other other key gaps uh let's see i think that there's i think a lot of this a lot of the existentialist philosophy has almost a maybe there are two other disagreements that are less foundational but might be important when you think about practice one is related to this thought about purposes where i think the stoics have this picture of role ethics they have pictures of virtue and the existentialists i think are self-conscious critical about sto social roles they separate themselves from their social roles in a way that stoics would not i think stoics are not as atomist about about their lives in a way it is an important fact about me that i am a son i am a neighbor i am a citizen and so on these aren't arbitrary social categories in the way they may be for a existentialist and they're not necessarily bad or things that one should have negative judgments about um and then there, there is something just about the philosophy that's almost dark or colored in a pessimistic light that doesn't follow from the logic of existentialism but seems to come from many of the main thinkers especially the french ones in the middle of the 20th century camus sartre simon de beauvoir um that i don't think the stoics i think the stoics have a different tenor to their philosophy and would see the existentialists mostly as putting some amount of their personal neuroticism in the form of passions as a philosophy i think that as a is another uh if it's not a disagreement in substance it's probably a disagreement in and how the philosophy ends up being being practiced do you have an example what do you mean by the the passions into the thinking yeah yeah so an example of that is camus in his article on the absurd talks about i think a cobbler and something like describing the life of a cobbler someone who makes shoes raises a family has kids and says this life is absurd and has no meaning clearly but there's no actual there's no argument for that uh and a lot of people think a life where they have kids where they work on a profession where they are married settle down have a home is a fine life uh so and certainly not everyone needs to respond in that way but if you're thinking about what is the fact of the matter is that life absurd or not i think one needs a uh, an argument but typically i think the existentialists my sense at least of the french french existentialists is something like there's a move from life has no inherent meaning um to therefore these sorts of things are absurd or meaningless which is right in a sense but it doesn't have doesn't need to have a negative color right you don't need to say that there's some sense in which that life is not worthwhile like those are just different 
entirely different concepts of whether life is worthwhile, whether it's meaningful or, or not. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's so, a line. If, if, life's, if life's has no meaning, then that line doesn't have any meaning either, right? <laughs> so there's something like this, like like um, there there is there is something dramatic about existentialism that maybe is like culturally specific to how much people were leaning on God in the past or a Christian God in particular. Like I'm, I'm thinking back to the Epicureans and the Epicureans are like, well, it's, you know, it's great if there's no gods because now you don't have to be stressed about somebody judging you, you know, right, and you right. can just enjoy your life of pleasure. And it's like, there's no, the, the absence of God doesn't, doesn't lead to this necessarily, doesn't lead necessarily to this enormous angst, but for the existentialist, it leads to this angst, and they see this as this this major problem to get rid of, or the meaninglessness of the cobbler's life as this major problem to overcome. So what I'm saying you to say, Caleb, is that like you're adding that in. That's that's somewhere your fear, your feelings, your passions about that situation are getting built into that to build this up as something big that we have to get over. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that's especially evident in in Camus and. I know Sartre and de Beauvoir have do have more precise arguments about how they think. You know, there's something some deep feature of human consciousness that sort of reveals the absurd, and there's these all these confusing ideas about being for itself and being in itself, and so on. Uh, but my general suspicion is that it's that you know that line from Epictetus: "All you need to say is that he went to jail." The idea that so mm. and so went to jail and it is bad. That part is added by you. And there, there is a suspicion, I think, from the Stoic point of view that the negative tenor of so much of this stuff is added by its proponents. Yeah, that's compelling. Um, you're solving a problem you, cre <laughs> you created. Just chill out, you know? Just stop, stop getting so stressed. Um, and you wouldn't have to invent a whole philosophy to get around it. Um, yeah, but it is an interesting point. And I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to read it kind of as a historical pattern, which is like sure. the, you know, Nietzsche saying God is dead was like so much more dramatic than it might, than it might be to hear now. Right. Or, or Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky often gets ripped on for saying, you know, if, if God is dead, then everything is permitted. Or like, if God doesn't exist, everything is permitted because, there was this there was this sense in his time that atheism was you know not just sad or wrong but actually like a danger like actually uh, philosophically dangerous and would lead to crimes uh you know a moral perversion of the people and we've just kind of seen that not to be true and if you you see that also not to be true if you cut back pre pre christianity the epicureans um you know, did, didn't base God heavily into their ethics and they were not, it didn't lead them to a life of, um, amorality, for example. Mm -hmm. So, so that shock is not quite as strong and the, maybe that emotion doesn't get as built mu as much into it now. And as you said, at least I think that's maybe a criticism more generally, but it certainly would be a stoic disagreement of going like, Whoa, you know, right, where's right. that second part coming from? Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe we can we uh, just to be on the positive side, we can say say that nonetheless, I think the existentialists do point out, especially when it comes to thinking about the nature of our freedom, thinking about 
uh, situations where you'll find themselves in analysis paralysis or something similar, that there is something le legitimate to that experience of not knowing what to do, feeling some anxiety over how you ought to live, sorting through all your different options. Uh, that that is that is legitimate and something to be, to be wrestled with. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, maybe let's let's turn now to what might an existentialism for Stoics look like, because I, I think I I, I want to highlight a bit of what you were just saying there. Um, in terms of how we would combine the two, obviously we can't combine them exactly. They're different ways of thinking about the world, but I think that existentialism, an existentialist approach to Stoicism, let's say, or an existentialist bend to Stoicism looks like recognizing that the existentialists, I think, were, were expert communicators about the experience of wrestling with the meaning of life, as you just pointed out. They're, they're really sensitive to what it's like to be a progressor, as the Stoics might say. Um, it's very easy to talk about, well, how would the Stoic sage respond? Well, they would understand that the, you know, they're part of a larger whole and there would be no existential angst. But that's just not the descriptive reality of what most people feel like when they get into philosophy. Well, most people feel like if they start to question the value system they grew up on, whether that was Christianity or something else, and they start to now transition, uh, it's not that they don't, you don't immediately jump to sagehood, right? Uh, I certainly am nowhere near there. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dread and angst and questions that come with that. I think the existentialists were experts at honing in on that. And in our quest to be Stoics, I think we can look to their tools for actually kind of emotionally punching through that dread and that angst. Which is one is this demand for authenticity, this demand for uh, to to authentically actually embrace the fear and look at it honestly, and not uh, not turn to stories or solutions that get you um, away from that. Um, to expect to struggle with angst, and as I said previously, to reject nihilism or uh, any any attempt to avoid this angst through easy answers. I think that is that is what the Stoic is at risk of doing. And I also think that we, many people practice Stoicism inauthentically, especially people that are coming to Stoicism originally who are looking for an easy way to stop being sad or an easy way to not have to wrestle with what is a complicated emotion or a complicated situation or a complicated set of set of situations, beliefs, life histories, and saying, well, Stoicism tells me not to worry about it, so I'm not going to worry about it. Stoicism tells me it's outside mm -hmm. my control, so I'm going to be numb to it. And that, I think, is a... is a um, Obviously, Stoicism has, has grounds for explaining why that's wrong using Stoicism, but I think the existentialism provides us this language of saying, look, you're not engaging with it authentically. You're um, trying to avoid that struggle that angst by looking for an easy answer and a quick out, and the 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 proper Stoic solution is going to be through through that. It's going to be th through authentically engaging with that complicated emotion, that complicated situation, and not just really numbing yourself to it. So that's what I think an existentialism for Sto Stoics look like. That's how I try to practice it. As I say, look, the, the you know the same way Seneca maybe quotes Epicureanism. You're, you're always looking for these tools or these specialists to come in. And what are the existentialist specialists at? What are they? What are they better at than anybody else? I think it's for having this way of conceptualizing the dread and the angst that comes with wrestling with meaning, wrestling with the difficulty of of what life is about. And I think we can we can co-op some of those tools as we wrestle with those questions as Stoics, and in a way that doesn't compromise Stoicism at all. And actually combines, uh, you know, the best of existentialism into our approach to to stoicism. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think the this focus on avoiding self-deception, Stoics can take note of. I think it, it is very important. It's, uh, it's I usually describe a life philosophy as something that has a picture of the good life and then a sense of how to get there. It's sort of interesting because existentialism, you might almost, you, I think I would say it is a philosophy of life, but you almost want to reframe it and say it's an account of what life is and how to face it hmm. or something of that nature because you don't have this idea of a good life that you're trying to target. Instead, the focus is on acknowledging your freedom acknowledging mm-hmm. that so much is up to you and well, that we de- we deceive ourselves often by thinking of ourselves as things that ha- you know we're thinking of ourselves as constrained by what happens to us uh in a way that is is no more than a self-deception de- yeah maybe it's a maybe it's an account of how to avoid a bad life Right, which is one that's inauthentic, self-deceiving, uh, unfree, and then what the good life will look like is is you know you've got to define that for yourself. But uh, you've you've in order to do that, you've got you have to avoid that bad life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Whether or not it works, I think is debatable. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think that I suppose what you know what does it give you in avoiding a a, a good life? It gives you that tool so that you don't just coast through you don't just sleepwalk through life Mm -hmm. um but you make your so i saw you you face up to making difficult decisions face up to your both the fact that you're exceptionally free and you have an immense amount of responsibility amount of of power and they 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 share that picture with with the stoics yeah. Any anything else in the, in the combination of those two? Yeah, I think. Well, I think there's this idea of uh, John Paul, both John Paul Sartre and um, Simone de Beauvoir talk about this idea of bad faith that is a useful model for for anyone. And the main thought is just that we deceive ourselves by acting or believing as if we were objects. At least that's how I interpret it. Maybe someone else might have another gloss on, on this on this concept, but that's how I interpret it. We refuse to choose or refuse to acknowledge that we have a choice in many situations. John Paul Sartre gives an example of a woman at a date, and the man clearly makes a romantic advance and puts his hand on top of <clears throat> the woman uh, as a display of affection, and the woman just sort of leaves her hand limp. And instead of either hmm. withdrawing and rejecting the advance or embracing the advance, and you think so much of our life is just like that. It's almost as if the hand was just any other object on the table and the, per- the woman on that date refused to either reject or a- accept the advance in a way. And we see this in many, many, I think in many common statements we make, you know, we say, I can't pursue my career because of my responsibilities, or I can't go to that event because I'm too busy. And there are some angles, there are some interpretations of those statements where, of course, they're true, but they're also hiding the fact that 
if you really wanted to go to that event, you could probably make it happen, right? And busyness is maybe a, a form of politeness. And if there's, a, but there's a sense in which if we say those sorts of things too often, they become a way of living in bad faith, way of living where we're constrained by these factors outside of ourselves instead of recognizing that you know we're we're free we can decide how to respond to whatever happens to us we can decide uh to a large extent how to how to create ourselves yeah i think that i mean i think the limp hand example is, is really uh it's really compelling well I, I, this is not as compelling an example but it is from my own life of um you know not not from, not from one of my dates but um in jujitsu we, you know, you often talk to people, you get trained more and there's always this kind of thing of like, well, I don't have time or just working out in general. I don't have time. It's like, man, just say you don't want to do it because when you, you can't engage with, I don't have time, like, because that's not an actual argument because you obviously, you have freedom to rearrange your schedule. You obviously have time. Whereas if someone says to you, no, I have, I have priorities that are more important than this to me. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. Then, then, then now we're engaging authentically. Like now we're having a conversation yeah, yeah. about how to where this stands for you um but time it becomes that kind of cop out it becomes the the limp hand i think um but it's such a i do that we all do that it's such a good reminder not to or to try not to right right yeah there's this and when you if you ever play poker there's this concept of limping in which is where you stay in the hand by uh calling whatever the other person bets so you don't raise you don't put more at stake you just you know, pay whatever the other person put up, which I think is a useful metaphor for how many of us go through life where we, you know, we kind of want to stay and we kind of want to go continue <laughs> going down the path we're currently going down, but we're not going to raise the stakes and we're not going to exit when perhaps we should. And instead we do like the, the minimum, with the minimum that's required for, mm. you know, coasting down the same, the same path or, or whatever. And I think the existentialists would say, Wake up, right? <laughs> Wake up. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Do you have anything else on uh, agreements or, or disagreements that we you think we missed? No, I think that, I think that does a good job of it. I think that I think that just that idea of like it is difficult trying to be a good person. It is difficult. We we can get stuck in this habit of talking about the sage talking about what a good stoic is like it's difficult just living it's difficult just existing and getting that kind of motivation to say look it's supposed to be difficult it's okay that it's difficult keep trying keep struggling with that but but don't don't shy away take it seriously be authentic these kinds of tips or ways of thinking about it these existentialist things those those are incredible you know the, there's the non-stoics who grab the stoic tools who are like, well, I'm just gonna, I, I'm just gonna think about the dichotomy of control when I'm, you know, doing my job or winning business or talking to people. And you're like, well, you're not really stoic, but you just done a tool. I feel like I'm almost like that with existentialism. I'm not an existentialist, but those are some nice tools, and those are those are ones that I that I have in my in my tool belt, so to speak. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong. I, I think those are totally compatible with stoicism, and that's where I see the, that's where I see the existentialist bend to stoicism is, is, is more of acknowledgement of how um, how difficult it can be to do this genuinely and how difficult it can be to stay on that progressor path and um, some encouragement to do so from the existentialists.
Excellent. Nice. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about existentialism, you have those past conversations with Gordon Marino and Sky Cleary. I know the Gordon Marino one's on our public feed. The Sky Cleary one may be within the Stoa app. And then there's this essay by Jean-Paul Sartre that we've mentioned a number of times, Existentialism as a Humanism. And then who also has about six pages or so, a piece called The Myth of Sisyphus. That's usually excerpted uh, in about six pages if you want to learn more learn more about the philosophy. I think those are fine places to start. Yeah, great recommendations. Thanks, Caleb. Cool. Thanks for putting this together. Thanks again for listening to Stoa Conversations. If you found this conversation useful, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. And if you'd like to practice Stoicism with Michael and I, as well as others walking the Stoic path, we are running our three-week course on Stoicism Applied. It'll be live with a forum, interactive calls, and I think will be an excellent way for a group of people to become more Stoic together. So do check that out at stoameditation.com slash course. And if that's not to your fancy, you can find links to the Stoa app as well as the Stoa letter, our newsletter on Stoic theory and practice at stoameditation.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.